the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week we discuss a movie and then one of us suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming services. You can participate right along with us. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined this week by Alicia Walker. Hello. Christine Deacon. Hello. Josh Dean. Hi there. Nathan McKinney. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hey! And today's movie was Nathan's suggestion. It was the 2017 film Brigsby Bear. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately. Uh, Alicia, what have you been watching lately? Uh, not as many movies and TV shows as I usually do. I'm kind of obsessed right now with finishing uh, Nintendo's zelda breath of the wild on my nintendo switch so i've been spending a lot of time doing that when i've had hey. time to watch stuff happy 2015 yay <laughs> hey. it took me till last year to get the nintendo switch so um anyway uh we did watch this weekend um judas and the black messiah which mm-hmm. was good Uh, And then Saturday, uh, we actually ventured out into a movie theater, which we had not done for a year, maybe over a year. Uh, And we watched uh, The Father. And so that was excellent. It was really good. Anthony Hopkins, Olivia Coleman, um, a really good representation of maybe what it's like in the mind of a person who's starting to have Alzheimer's and dementia. And mm-hmm. uh, the set is extremely important in that movie. It's a it's a play that's been made into a movie. I don't know if anybody else has seen it yet, but uh, really well done. Great dialogue. I mean, Anthony Hopkins is always great, but but he really is amazing. This performance, he really is um, taking that that strength that he usually has and becoming very vulnerable with that because he's a strong person who is now can't figure anything out. So, uh, really interesting, really well done. Enjoyed that a lot. I mean, enjoyed is a tough word maybe for for the story, but (laughs) it was very Um, well done. I think, is anyone on here that's seen Judas and the Black Messiah? I think we've, okay. I think we talked about it a little bit before. Um, and it might've been Aaron that saw it, uh, as well. Um, but, uh, I saw today, um, somebody was commenting on the fact that both Daniel Kaluuya and, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, Mm -hmm. Mm were both nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. And they were like, so who's the lead in that movie? <laughs> yeah. And then they were like, um, there were there was discussion under that that said that uh, that Chadwick Boseman is basically a shoe-in for Best Actor, and so they weren't trying to put somebody in that competes with him. But then so it's they, like... His people, their people submitted them for Supporting Actor instead? No, Warner Brothers submitted it for um, Best Actor, Lakeith Stanfield for Best Actor. Oh, really? And, yeah, and they, the Academy just put him in Supporting Actor. Really? Oh, yeah. that's which interesting. Is, which it can really be a problem because um, besides the fact that, you know, he's not in the right category, because you have two actors from the same film in one category, um, they, they're potentially dividing the voters right? at that point. And so well, that hurts them yeah. both. That's interesting. I'd heard of stories in prior years where uh, the people behind the movie or the actor or actress had submitted them for a particular actor versus supporting actor or whatever just because they thought they had a better chance or something like that. But I didn't realize that the Academy would move them to a different category. 
Apparently it happened with the reader too, uh, with Kate Winslet, but I, that's the only other example I can think of. Interesting. So yeah, weird little conundrum, um, Hmm. that probably is old news by the time this is being (laughs) released, but whatever. So, uh, Christine, how about you? What have you been watching? So this week I watched, uh, Scream Queen, the documentary about, uh, Mark Patton, uh, in Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which was really good. Um, yeah. If you like that franchise, I highly recommend watching it because it gives a whole new perspective on his character and him as an actor in general. Yeah, um, I actually don't care about Nightmare on Elm Street at all, and I really enjoyed that documentary. It so. was very good. Yeah. Um, well, what's it on? It's on Shudder. It's called uh, okay. Scream, Comma Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about how, uh, well, Christine, you can explain what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> it's about how uh, the the queer subtext of the film kind of affected uh, Mark Patton's career and just uh, the backlash of that affected like the whole path of his life in general and where he went afterwards. And everything he's done since then. Yeah, basically, it wasn't cool for him to be an out gay actor um, when that movie was made. And Mm. the movie isn't overtly gay, but there's subtext there. And if you watch it today um, with today's lens, you you see it. It's very clear that it's there. Mm. Um, Robert England knew that it was going on when they were making the movie. And... um, there were, uh, because of the AIDS crisis and because of the eighties, um, uh, he couldn't get cast. Like there were actresses that wouldn't kiss him, stuff like that. And so it really negatively oh. impacted his career. That's, That's the interesting. And him like freaking out in a school bus, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know. What you're I'm, yeah. Talking about that. There's also like a right. scene that's like, like fairly sexual between him and Freddie. Um, mm-hmm. that they they talked about going even further with, but kept it kind of back. And like while they were shooting the scene, Robert England was like suggesting, "Is it okay if I do this? Is it okay if I do that?" Kind of stuff. Like, hmm. yeah, that's interesting because I love that franchise and I know the sequel very well. But I guess when I watched it as a kid, I never that never came across. But I, I think what you're saying, Dale, is like with today's lens, probably more apparent. That's an interesting take on that. Yeah. 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 And a lot of, hmm. a lot of people sort of celebrate it for being a gay film now. So. Hmm. Wow. Cool. I had to check that out. Josh, how about you? Oh, um, I, uh, finally saw the Donner cut of Superman two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> fuck you, Zack Snyder. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Man, there are a bunch of uh, pee jokes in that movie. Like a lot of people uh, <laughs> having to pee, uh, forgetting to pee. There's really? a toilet flushing in the Four Fortress of Solitude at one point. Oh my god! Yeah, uh, and I thought this was supposed to be the less wacky version uh, than the one that came out. Have you seen the uh, the Red Brown Captain America? No. What 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 is that? 
the the actor Red Brown was in. I think Roger Corman made it. Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he's barely in costume. Uh, he has like fake ears on the outside of the helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and his big super move is is tricking old men into thinking that he's about to vomit and then stealing their cars. <laughs> he does this like twice in the movie, and you're like, what? That's his superpower <laughs> that he can run slightly faster than Ned Beatty. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah. Um, I also saw a movie called um, Frequently Asked Questions About Time Travel, uh, which I'd never even heard of. My cousin showed it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris O'Dowd, uh, Anna Ferris. Um, it's a cute little uh, time travel movie about uh, like three kind of losers in England who uh, discover that the bathroom of their pub is a time portal. Uh, and That's just been a bathroom week for you. It has been a very bathroom heavy week, yes. And then the movies I've been watching too, also. Oh my. Uh, yeah. The trick is always remember to wake up before you actually go. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> well said. Anyway, that's what I've been watching. Bathroom stuff. Zach, how about you? Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat as Alicia. I haven't really been watching much other than my regular like weekly shows or things I've already talked about. Nothing new um, film-wise either. So I've just been logging some hours playing uh, a couple of uh, different Assassin's Creed games. Um, Odyssey, which I finally beat after 150 hours of playing it. I didn't realize I could put 150 hours into a video game. Yep. But I can. (laughs) And it is definitely an Odyssey. Uh, And then I started Valhalla directly after that. And just, I've been enjoying it. It's different, but um, I, I do like these games for their stories. It's very cinematic, and I feel like that's also relevant to the podcast because I, I think people play video games nowadays more or less for either um, just like, you know, filling time or for these grand stories that are being told. And the way that they're coming across with them in how they make the games these days is just astounding it's beautiful it's it's just as good as any filmmaker who's been working on making films for however long yeah and uh it's 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 great oh that argument's been made many times you know going back to you know anything from like bioshock even back to like uh metal gear solid people have talked about you Mm. know cinematic storytelling in video games so there's definitely yeah. games that you could just watch as a as a big long movie and uh and enjoy for the story. Um Yep. The Last of Us games are like that. Um so yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Right on. Well, I've been uh continuing my experience experiment with Paramount Plus. Um I got it through Amazon and Amazon and Paramount Plus are really out of whack. Uh, together. They don't really always uh, sync up to where an episode of a show will end and then it will take me to a page that says, do you want to resume episode four of last season? It's like, no. Um, I'd like to watch the next episode, please. (laughs) Um, So it seems like every second or third episode of something that I watch, uh, it, the, the whole interface goes bananas and uh, um, I have trouble pausing at some points, like the options just not there. So I don't know. Um, might be just, might be just me, might be just my 
my TV or my app or whatever, but uh, very odd. And then I'll have episodes where like Amazon X-Ray works, which it normally doesn't on channels that are underneath their umbrella. It only works on their original content. So Hmm. I don't know. Um, I have not watched anything on Paramount Plus that I am willing to uh, recommend to anyone. (laughs) Um, It has all been mindless filler. But um, I did watch a movie called 78 slash 52, which is a movie documentary about the shower scene in Psycho. Uh, It's on Hulu. Um, 78 is the number of camera setups and 52 is the number of edits in that in that scene. And it's a whole bunch of actors, including the body double uh, for uh for uh lee what's her name uh not lee, Re- lee remick it's uh Vivi- uh janet lee janet, janet lee. lee the body double for janet lee is in it um she's still alive um jamie lee curtis is interviewed in it um and then a bunch of uh other actors and directors lots of horror directors are in there guillermo del toro um, a few other people. I was actually looking at buying a copy of it because um, there were some extended interviews on it, and then I noticed it was on Hulu, so I just watched it there. Um, and it's it's really well done. Um, it's a really good like breakdown of how important that scene was, um, how much time they spent on that scene, how the whole movie sort of worked around that scene and built around that scene. Um, uh, there's plenty of stuff in there that, that was new information for me that, that was interesting to find out about. I think maybe, uh, my favorite little tidbit from it was that, uh, after they had, they had finished shooting the movie and they, they'd showed it to, you know, executives and they'd screened it for the cast and all of those sorts of people. Um, Hitchcock had like a screening with just him and his wife where they watched it. And she said, you can't release this. And he said, why? What's the problem? And she said, you can see Janet Lee take a breath right before she goes out of frame. And so they added a cut at the last minute that cuts back to the shower head before it goes back to show the rest of that pan out. So it's a weird cut. And people in the movie are talking about how it's a weird cut. It's like it had to have been a problem that they were solving with that cut. And then sure enough, that's what it was, was there was a problem and they edited around it. So hmm. pretty if interesting. You ever get a chance to watch the, uh, the documentaries that come on a lot of the, the Hitchcock Blu-rays and DVDs. Um, they're all really good, but the one on Psycho is particularly good. Yeah. Um, and it goes into a lot on that scene too. Right on. Well, Nathan, what have you been watching? Uh, I'm getting pretty close to wrapping up my German movie fest. Um, it's taken about four months to get through it, <laughs> <laughs> mostly because I have to find time to actually sit and read subtitles for two hours for all these movies. Right. Um, the two movies I watched on the end here were Katharina Bloom, The Lost Honor of Katharina Bloom, which was directed by the same guy that did uh, Tin Drum. This one's a very completely different movie. Um, this one's more of a realistic, almost um, uh, kind of a, a thriller of sorts. Um, a woman gets caught in the middle of a 
uh, a guy trying to get away from the law and she just picks him up for one night and the law thinks she did a lot more than that. And, uh, so they follow her around and it's pretty good. It's, it's actually really well done. Uh, the last one, uh, that I watched then was Kings of the road, um, which is the last of the, the Wim Wenders, um, road trilogy. And I think it might actually be the best. I loved the first of those, um, which was Alice of the cities, but this one might be a, a little bit better. It's actually almost three hours, Mm-hmm. Um, but it really goes fast. Um, it mostly follows two characters as they kind of uh, ride around uh, on the border of East and West Germany, um, delivering film equipment and whatnot. But it's it's really well done. And uh, that's it. Uh, we had a conversation in an earlier show about Metropolis. Have you seen that yet? I tried. I tried. Oh, no. I tried. I, I got about 45 minutes in, and knowing there was another hour or two hours and 15 minutes, I was like, not today. <laughs> no, I don't think I made it back. I, I you, you know, there like was a whole Saturday to watch it. It was fine. I think I'm going to have to have a lot of caffeine for that sucker. Um, I, <laughs> I, I enjoyed the visuals of it. I mean, I, I, I understand where it's coming from as, as being a classic, but at the same time, no, I get it. I'm saying like you you need like a whole Saturday to dedicate to it. Like yeah. you have to know today's the day I'm watching Metropolis. That's all I'm doing and and just really dig in and it's kind of interesting because it. on uh I think it was Canopy. I did a little digging and I found a version of Metropolis that was using the original footage but it was basically set up as music videos. Is so it the Giorgio cuts, Moroder version? I think it is. Yeah, it's Giorgio Moroder. That's who it was. That's um, not a good version to watch. I was kind of wondering because I was like, <laughs> hey, this is like an hour and a half shorter. <laughs> yeah. It, I can totally get through this. It, it was a great idea. It was a great concept. Um, and there's people that really like it um, because they are really into the whole Giorgio Moroder thing. Um, but it's unfortunately like at Giorgio Moroder's like disco heights. And so it's it's a very dated disco mess of of Metropolis. And it is also very like cut up. Um, I don't know. I'm fit. I'm the type of guy that has sat through um The Wizard of Oz multiple times listening to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. It it's not I, it's not as good as that. Okay. All right. It, because even as, that gets, I mean, because, you know, you know, the whole thing where you play the dark side of the mood and the Wizard of Oz and things happen. Right. You can play the album over and over and it still doesn't get to the end of the dark, uh, the Wizard of Oz. So you have to listen to the album like two and a half times. Right. Um, I've done that a few times. I'm a little weird. Yeah. Uh, I think Metropolis has a fantastic score. Um, there's no reason to necessarily update it. And certainly if you haven't actually watched the movie first, um, the Marauder version is not the cut that I would recommend. Does it get better? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It, in the it, first 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. Good. Okay. It, 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 I mean, so it's like the first big sci-fi movie ever. And when you think, if you think about it, um, you know, one of the things that, that works against silent movies is that, it takes twice as long to convey information because anything that somebody would say 
they say it and then they show the text of what they said. So it's you're you're doubling all of that over. Well, to introduce all of this science fiction, that first 45 minutes is only about 20 minutes worth of exposition and the movie needs about an hour's worth of exposition <laughs> in silent movie time to get going. And then it's rolling and it's interesting and then the last 40 minutes or so is just brilliant. It's like a blockbuster. Okay. So I might pick up from like 30 minutes in or so and, and trying to get myself going down the hill again. We'll see. I, I mean, actually what it reminded me most of, it, it didn't remind me particularly of science fiction. It reminded me of, which I guess is science fiction too, but uh, Terry Gilliam's uh, Brazil in like the, Oh yeah. The whole, like the office complex and there was something about it that was very similar to that. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's insane for when it was made like that Fritz Lang just made this insane science fiction epic that, you know, Terry Gilliam could, could make in the 1980s, but nobody was making in the twenties and thirties. So in the silent era, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but the Metropolis movie poster is the Holy grail of movie posters. There's a movie poster that no one has ever found surviving from Metropolis. Yeah. Just saying. Uh, there's there. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on with that movie. There's uh, they, they keep finding more of it. Um, there was <laughs> literally like the, the American cut was, was quite a bit shorter than the original um, German version. And, international versions that were sent to different countries were different edits. And so every eight to 10 years, somebody opens a castle door somewhere and there's a reel of Metropolis sitting there that has four minutes of footage that no one's seen before. And it gets restored and it gets put in and then there's a new version of Metropolis out there. So um, I remember around 2000, they made like a big, deal out of restoring it and remastering it and then like 10 years later there was suddenly 17 new minutes of footage that had been found so it's it's kind of a kind of a miraculous movie all of this will be cut from the podcast um so um (laughs) our movie this week was uh brigsby bear we all watched it i have seen it before uh anyone else besides nathan that has seen it before Nobody. Um, Alicia, let's start with you. What did you think of Brigsby Bear? <laughs> uh, I I thought it was good, not great, is what I thought. Um, I there's the, I think my favorite parts of the movie, the stuff I loved the most, were the clips from episodes of Brigsby Bear. Uh-huh. I wanted to be like all of the other, um, you know, the social media. Uh, parade of people, young people especially, that just could not get enough of watching episodes of Brigsby Bear. So any of those little clips, you know, Mark Hamill doing his thing, uh, the weird stuff uh, about like random math problems and, you know, (laughs) masturbating and stuff like that. Hilarious. (laughs) Loved loved all the little clips from Brigsby Bear. Other than that, it was fine. I I didn't think it was bad, but... um, I know that they had to have the time capsule. You had to have it for this all to work, but I think I'm like 
somebody else is trapped in a time capsule and comes out. It's, it's not a time capsule, a bunker, whatever. Yeah. And emerges and, oh my God, all the, the fun that ensues from them figuring out the world around them. So, you know, um, I loved, I thought Greg Kinnear was really fun in this. Uh, mm-hmm. Greg Kinnear is, is always... I shouldn't say always. I feel like lately he does some really fun choices sometimes in movies and picking some of the roles. So uh, I like seeing him in a lot of these kind of fun comedies, these lighter things like this. So I really liked him. I I was all excited about Matt Walsh, and then I didn't really get full Matt Walsh. And I I love it when he's on. So I felt like that was casting that was wasted, like a a talent that was wasted in that movie. yeah, I mean, I thought it was good. I, I wanted to watch it. I wanted to see what happened. Uh, Kyle Mooney's not my favorite. I think that's part of it. Like, I can't totally dig Kyle Mooney. Um, some I, of think the we, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of similar sentiment around here, but yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> uh, overall, I liked it. I don't know if I'm going to watch it again or in the near future. I might just, if there's, I don't know if, the, if there's like a whole... I want there to be like a whole Blair Witch Project thing going on with the Brigsby Bear on the web and that there's like a website of the entire show and like I can just fall into that, you know, volume 35, episode 19 and just like check all those out. Like I totally want to do that. I think I would enjoy just watching those more than watching the movie about a guy's obsession with those. I think that's probably more my thing. Josh, how about you? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, the the Kyle Mooney thing. Um, <laughs> it's funny. We should I, just put a disclaimer on on top of everything and just say yep. Kyle Mooney's not our favorite. Well, mm-hmm. it's weird. It, like he tried to fill that spot on Saturday Night Live that Lonely Island left, which I thought was ironic, considering that Lonely Island produced this movie. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, and then Samberg popping up made me happy for a few minutes. Um, but his, <laughs> his sense of humor and mind don't align exactly. So I didn't, I didn't laugh a lot at this movie, but I was charmed by it in a weird way. Like it's a, it's a perfectly charming little film. Um, uh, good natured mostly, uh, but not a lot of like, obstacles to overcome in terms of like the protagonist he's got yeah like one thing to do and then once it's done that's the movie um there's like a little hiccup with the homemade explosive device or whatever but um yeah it uh i liked it in general um but it you know i wouldn't probably rewatch it anytime soon um yeah (laughs) fair enough (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Christine, how about you? Um, I agree definitely with Alicia that I would love to watch these these clips, just all of them. Especially my favorite line was, I'll miss you all when you've passed away. Cause, but you really brought this upon yourselves. Curiosity is not a natural human emotion. Like That line just was <laughs> the best brings me line ever ever um and then uh Kyle Mooney for me definitely not my favorite uh for me it can all be summed up in uh when he's just repeating like everything that he finds funny that everything that everybody else is saying in the movie like that for me is Kyle Mooney (laughs) he's just repeating dope as shit like yeah that's 
that's Kyle Mooney for me. And so, uh, other than that, I wish they they would have maybe took a little more insight into how Brigsby was brainwashing him for his fake mom and dad. Yeah. Maybe that would have added a little bit more to the character for me. Uh, like, but other than that, it was good, but not like great. Like a little <laughs> bit more exposition? Yeah. As to why Brigsby was such a big part of his life that they used him as that brainwashing tool and why it was so connected to him. Well, I mean, I, um, my my understanding was that he was he was kidnapped as a child and Brigsby was basically his only entertainment yeah. his whole life. And it was all created by Mark Hamill. So, yeah. But they don't really explain like what Mark Hamill was trying to do other than entertain and yeah. educate his son. You know, there doesn't seem like there's a grand plan behind it. It's just like weird, weird Sesame Street. Yeah. <laughs> and it seemed like for a while that maybe they're trying to make him a math genius or something because yeah, that's the mom what I got taught too. at the community college, I guess. And we didn't really get that much information on mom like i wanted more information about mom and yeah. i thought maybe at the end he might go visit mom too i and caught a lot more information about her watching it a second time than i did the first time but there isn't very much other than she was the one who stole him and kind of came up with the whole plan yes essentially but she but, seems yeah. really, he didn't really care about end. that i shouldn't say at the end at the beginning when when he's making you know trifold displays about Brigsby Bear, I'm assuming she's just fr- she's just done with Brigsby Bear because he's twenty something years old and he's still doing Brigsby Bear. But there's like this whole I don't know if it's just discontent over the whole situation or what you know if something else was going to build into yeah it's into just something. not explained very yeah. well yeah I agree and I believe that the dad too was also like a toy maker of some sort. Yeah. So I guess that must've parlayed like into his situation. Right. Exactly. <laughs> the idea behind the show and whatever, where he was coming from. Well, the technology you know? behind the bear that worked like Teddy Ruxpin, where you put a cassette in the back of it, Ted, like that's not how you would make a children's television show, but yeah. because <laughs> that's what the dad was good at. He just used that technology to make, the bear worked that way, and then it worked out in the movie's favor that they could have Mark Hamill voice the movie from jail um, over yeah. a tape recorder. So, um, just a little bit of uh, cassette fetishism for uh, <laughs> yeah, King Hipster Kyle Mooney. But uh, Zach, go ahead. What did you think of Brigsby Bear? <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, very excited to see this because it's definitely something that was on my radar. I was not excited to see this because of Kyle Mooney. Um, <laughs> I think there's a disclaimer <laughs> in general that Kyle Mooney's not our yeah, favorite. We cover that. Okay, good. Um, that I, I it was not do dope whole, as shit. It was not. No, no. Um, I had to do the whole like thing I did with Whiplash where I put that aside and just tried to appreciate the movie for the filmmaking and storytelling aspect. And that was fun. I did enjoy that. And, um, you know, he did, uh, Kyle Mooney to develop the story as well. Um, so I thought it was interesting, intriguing enough that it kept my attention. I'm glad it didn't go any longer than it did. I think it had the appropriate amount of time for what it was trying to do. 
Um, I did really, I, I also, I think I felt the same as Josh, you know, like, um, it didn't really make me laugh a whole lot. I had some giggles here and there. Um, same with Alicia. I really liked that sort of, you know, the show stuff. Um, there were, there were other fun moments too, that I thought were, you know, in terms of uh, his engagement with, um, society in general, what were fun. Um, like when he goes to the diner to find the girl, like he's almost on his own little quest, uh, you know, making this film. Um, and I thought that was unique in, in it's in the way that like he found the morals of what the couple was trying to teach him into the, you know, it, it, he found them to be insightful into his, his adventure into this new world. Um, like there were layers. It was definitely a cake, um, of, <laughs> of messages. Uh, and, um, the, uh, I like the little cameos, like Josh was saying, I really think that the Lonely Island guys producing this made this film because there were moments where you could feel Kyle Mooney's humor and then you could feel their humor. And, uh, I think it, it, it really worked for me with, with those guys attached to the project. Uh, I just find Kyle Mooney to be very one dimensional. He kind of does that same shtick each time. Um, it's a, it's a real caricature of, uh, kind of like a, a dumb person, but it's not dumb. It's like almost like, Naive, just naive. That's a great, yeah. That's a much like, better word. He's like Napoleon um, Dynamite, or, or it, that's exactly Napoleon what Dynamite. I felt like. Yeah, when I was watching this, I was like, "This is sort of like a Napoleon Dynamite kind of meets that Beverly Laughlin, which is funny um, when we just watched that recently." But like, you know, not as uh, maybe too out there as it was. But yeah, not a lot of obstacles, which kind of made it just um, flow, I guess, easily enough. You're like, oh, everybody's on his side. Everybody wants to see him succeed. This kid has done nothing uh, wrong, but also like really the only thing that the the two the couple did was abduct him and keep him held captive, but like they wanted the best of intentions for him. It was almost like a raising Arizona situation yeah. where it was like but like everything turned out kind of okay in the end. Right. Uh and I, and I guess like I don't know, that was a feel good sentiment. Um what really got me was at the ending with the film and the premiere, and also when they showed the little video, I mean, let me say this. They chose some score that's going to make you cry if you have any hint of that emotion of, like, working hard at something or, you know, hoping to overcome the odds or whatever it was. And, I mean, just being a content maker myself, just being like, yeah, I know that feeling. Just getting together with a group of your friends, trying to make a little thing and uh, hope everybody likes it. Oh, the internet didn't like it. Ah, okay. Well, I guess I'll go fuck myself. Um, <laughs> but, um, I enjoyed it overall. I'm glad I got a chance to check it out and I would watch it again. If somebody had an interest in it or, um, if it were on, I think it could be something I could easily just slip back into for the nostalgia, I think was really, really for me, it was where it hit too. So, yeah. 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 I, I was watching it and I was thinking, uh, when, uh, I had forgotten some parts of it, but uh, his his real parents are Matt Walsh and Michaela Watkins. Um, Matt Walsh, of course, of UCB, and Michaela Watkins is uh, in the Groundlings. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you know, amazing casting there. Plus, he makes his fake dad Luke Skywalker, and uh, um, just an all around fantasy cast like you yeah. couldn't ask for uh, a Claire, better cast Claire Danes is the uh therapist yeah 
and you know she's only got maybe five minutes of screen time, but just crushes it. <laughs> well, and she's straight out of Homeland. Like yeah. she just—it's just Carrie Matheson, like talking to him in those scenes. So, yeah. um, and I actually—I also want to say with casting too, I did appreciate the sort of unknowns, the sister and the friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought they did a, a good job. They held their own against, you know, kind of uh, this superstar of a character in terms of Kyle Mooney from SNL. And you have all these unknowns. But I like I think they they did well in the world that was created for those characters. Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't know that I would I would ra- I would say that Kyle Mooney is really a superstar. I kind of know him from this. Well, and, yeah. and that's really about <laughs> it. Um, I, you know, I, I but I don't. Uh, really watched Saturday Night Live, so I don't uh, haven't seen much of what he's done there. Uh, yeah, so this was my second time through it. Uh, gee, thanks. Um, uh, no, <laughs> it's uh, I didn't care for it the first time I watched it, and I kind of had the same uh, the same problems with it that I did before. Uh, but I, I think I can be more articulate about it now that I've refreshed my memory on it. Um, like everybody else said, the whole premise of the movie is really good. Um, the idea of this kid sort of being raised in a bunker and his parents conspiring to educate him in this really bizarre way, or they're doing it indirectly and pretending that, you know, they're in some sort of a fallout shelter and there's a, tape delivered every week with this show on it that is a mixture of Barney, Teddy Ruxpin, Ender's Game, and the movie Room. <laughs> so, like, well, I guess the movie Room is sort of this movie. Um, you know, he's just a lot older when he gets out. But uh, um, there were things that I really think are funny and, and things I really think are good. Uh uh, I liked the the whole may our minds be stronger tomorrow, and then they all stand up and shake each other's hands. Um, uh, when Claire Danes does show up, it's completely out of nowhere, and Cal Mooney says, "Wait, who is that?" <laughs> That's like how the script is. It's just like, okay, yeah, that was funny. Um, yeah, I did want a. Sp- I, you guys were all talking about you wanted to watch, you know, the full uh, the full Brigsby Bear uh, collection. Um, I want to watch Hockey High with Tim Heidecker. <laughs> that was pretty good, too. I, I, I really yeah. want to watch that. That's that, true. And it was like a legit ripoff of, of The Mighty Ducks 2. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> How'd you learn to shoot a puck like that? Uh, <laughs> Which also is what is Keenan Thompson, so still a connection to SNL. Yeah. Yep. And then um, uh, I loved his attempt to bribe Greg Kinnear with two dollars and twenty six cents. Yeah, that's good uh, to get all the evidence out of <laughs> out of storage, um, all of that sort of stuff. I I think the movie had a lot of promise, and I kind of I I get what the, what it was going for. Um, I think the second act is just awful. Um, I think the whole subplot of him with the IED and going into care and like that whole obstacle is, it it just comes out of nowhere and it's completely against the plot and against the tone of the movie. It feels like a real serious situation and like, you know, now he's going to have to fight his way out of, of, 
being institutionalized and then he's just not. And then they just finish the movie and then that's it. It's just over. Um, so I kind of wanted it to be more of, you know, let's either, either spend more time developing what the whole Brigsby bear thing was and, and have there be some sort of deeper conspiracy there. Like Jane Adams was trying to solve some sort of incredible mathematical formula and that, that that's what they were teaching him to do. And that somehow through making the movie, he does that. Um, you know, that is, is a, is a great ending to the beginning that they made in this movie. Um, or have a movie about a kid trying to recreate his very sheltered childhood fantasy and have the movie be the sort of end of that. So it's like, there's a beginning of a movie here and there's an end of a movie here that don't necessarily reflect one another. And that second act just sits like a, a chunk of good mud in the middle and doesn't really move the plot in any kind of direction. It's not funny. It's not interesting. It's just sort of like, Oh shit. Well, you know, it just seems so, um, it, it, it seems to kind of throw the sort of whimsical, non-realism of the movie out the window and it suddenly becomes very clinical and depressing despite you know Andy Samberg having cameo as the guy like giving him ice cream and that he has like a cameo in the movie then where he's got like a disco ball on his head and like that's sort of it um but I also feel like it could be a thing where the movie that I am looking for was made and then like 40% more movie was made and then it was cut down to this um, because it, it feels like a movie that uh, that's, that's focused on it focused in some of the wrong places that, that uh, the, the story kind of goes on too long in, in certain ways and, and not in others. So it, it's almost like the, the, the premise was good the ending idea was, was interesting. And then there was like some sort of attempt to make the two of them gel and they couldn't quite make it gel that way. You know, something uh, that kind of reminds me of, and also when Zach was talking about kind of a lack of obstacles, I thought more might happen with the girl who was in the Brigsby bear videos. So the, the who was the waitress. Yeah. So I kind of thought at one point when, uh, the other SNL alum who's also at the police station working with Greg Kinnear, when he started watching the videos in the evidence room and he keeps looking at the girl, well, twin girls that are in the video, I kept thinking something's going to happen with this. Like he's going to find out mm. like there's a whole nother bunker and there are a bunch of mole women, like it's unbreakable Kimmy right. Schmidt. And there's all, there's a whole nother subplot of figuring the, out where this girl or girls came from and what's their story. And right. so and I, the only I was kind of waiting movie, for that. The yeah. only payoff in the movie is that she appears in the movie that he makes right. and she kisses Brigsby Bear on the mouth. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and that's uh, Beck Bennett. And I think he was also Bear. underutilized yes. as well yeah, because true. he's I, honestly, I feel like he is one of the more superstar people on SNL right now. He does great characters and great impressions. Mm-hmm. And then he just does this bland detective character and he has like one decent scene 
Uh, he's like, when I watch the tapes and he's like, yeah. And that's like, you know, like, yeah. But um, if, I was hoping there was going to be more with the girl too. I was like, well, they have to find this warehouse. There's going to be all these right, kids. Right. This is a whole like ring of children that they <laughs> have involved with this. Yes, like, yes, my mind been kidnapped way outside. All over the yeah. country, something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I think with a different, you know, with, with somebody else there to, to sort of build on the idea um, cause it's the story is Kyle Mooney's and he co-wrote the screenplay. Um, but I think with, with another, with another writer to sort of build on the ideas and kind of, kind of build it up, it could have been something more. Um, and I think they got a really great cast. I think they underutilized a lot of their cast members. Like, you know, we were talking about how, um, we wanted to see something with the mom at the end and it's like, well, you know, maybe they couldn't get Jane Adams back for the end, or maybe they felt like people would be satisfied with just more Mark Hamill. And probably 90% of the audience was just happy with more Mark Hamill and watching Mark Hamill do voiceover is, is a treat. So, so why not? But, uh, in the end, I have to say, what the hell, Nathan, um, why did we watch (laughs) Brigsby bear? Uh, so, you know, I think y'all, it's kind of, as much as you guys seem to have hated the film, um, <laughs> I think it's I- ironic that you touched Disclaimers. on every single one of you, some of the things I love about it. And I just looked past all those problems, honestly, because uh, as in Josh's word, it charmed the shit out of me when I watched it the first time. Um, you know, I've never been a huge fan of Kyle Moody, but I wouldn't say I hated him or had any problem with him. <laughs> no one said they hated him. Okay, good. Um, I mean, he's just I not, a, he's not a, our favorite. Point. Disclaimer that he was not so great. He's, he's, fine. he's, he's, he's been not, said three times he's now. Fine. He's not so, our favorite is what okay. I said. All right. He's not mine either. But <laughs> I mean, I've always enjoyed said. his stuff on SNL. I, I, I think it's funny. But what I love about this is how earnest everything is. Like every single actor got to play a straight man in this entire movie. Like even, even though they were doing some silly things from time to time, especially Kyle Mooney, um, everybody, this, there's no sarcasm or, you know, cynicism in this. It's, it's kind of the opposite of that Beverly Loughlin movie. I mean, it's, it's everybody is just, there's all heart. There's there's no non heart in this movie, and to me that was enough to make me just go. I'm kind of enjoying the the hell out of this, and the premise is enough to keep me going. Anyways, there are some funny things going on in it for sure. I I mean, but I don't think it was ever intended to make you laugh hearty har har. It was more of just like something to make you feel good. No, um, and I I I I get that. I guess my question to you is that that sort of tone of uh nobody's being cynical everybody's being earnest do you feel like that was lost with the whole ied institutionalization subplot no because i mean it it really focused in on him as a character i mean there was all kinds of sinister shit going on in the movie i mean he was abducted away from his parents all of that could have played very dark Every single bit of it, but the but IED even, stuff was, and everything else was not played. See, back. I never, I never really felt like it was that dark. I mean, you always focused in on his character and his point of view, 
And honestly, he was kind of like this positivity bubble in the middle of the movie that never got him down. I mean, he you always saw what he was doing was honest and true and never like meaning to harm anybody. Yeah. And, and so to me, when you follow him into that situation, you know, he gets a little bummed about it, but he has Andy Samberg in there and kind of lightens the mood of those scenes. And then, of course, he just throws the TV out the window and walks away. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, I don't really get the feeling that the movie intended to harsh a vibe with that. It was just trying to do what it could to bring that climax in so that there were stakes at the end. But I, I, never, got the, I, I never got the impression that it was in trying to harsh the vibe of the movie. It was just kind of another stumbling block. And no, this plot and everything about it, there's lots of holes you can sit there and pick it apart because it's not that well thought out, but I think it's enjoyable anyways. And I think that's kind of why I loved it. No. And I, 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 I agree with you for the first third of the movie. And then I feel like the last third of the movie kind of redeems it. Like you kind of walk out happy at the end of it. But I, I just, I felt enough of a, and, and, this isn't this isn't in reality, but when I first watched the movie, I just thought this is going to be a whole thing with him trying to like go through the hoops of proving that he's mentally capable and that he can get out and all of that. And it turns out to just be a big non-issue because like you said, they're just trying to raise the stakes and have a reason for everybody to like rally around him and finish the movie with him. So, you know, it's I don't think any of that was intentional it's just that was how it hit me that that's where like i stopped being charmed by the movie and started feeling like oh this is getting a bit like Uh, oppressive i mean don't get me wrong i have had bones to pick with movies that deserved way less bones picked at them i mean because (laughs) you know every movie hits everybody a different way maybe the day i sat on watch this movie I'd had a lot of crystal light that morning and I was feeling really bubbly and I went in the theater and the <laughs> snow cone I was eating what? was just the right flavor <laughs> and <what>? something <laughs> something hit. I don't know. But this one I I got into and quite frankly, I enjoyed the second time. So I, you know. Right on. Uh, there was one other thing I wanted to, to mention um, and this only really struck me the second time watching through it um, that it was weird was uh, that Kyle, they tried to have Kyle Mooney's character kind of be both um, like he's, I guess he's supposed to be a a naive childish adult, right? Which is kind of his overall oeuvre. And that's his character in the movie. Um, I had this weird moment uh, I think both times I watched it where his sister uh, chews him out for hooking up with Meredith. And a couple of times she tells him that like, you know, you're a lot older than us. Like, well, in the language of film, in the language of American comedy film, no, he's not like Kyle Mooney would, would be cast to play a high school kid in, an yeah. American comedy movie. Well, and I'm pretty sure all those kids were older 
than they were supposed to be portraying too. <laughs> so I, like I didn't get that. Yeah. I, I, like I that yeah. that part of the whole thing just didn't work for me. But like it, it's almost like they not like this would have solved everything because this would have been a this would have made the movie terrible. Um, but if it was like Adam Sandler instead of Calamuni, then it's a much weirder and much more like if he's the one acting like a kid and hanging out with a high school girl, then okay. I kind of chalked it up to he's, he's not an idiot. He's, he's actually a really smart guy. He's just not exposed to any social normities at all. So just the sheer idea of kissing a girl is maybe even foreign to him if he's never seen it happen. I think, I think the character made sense. It was just that like the, the, the sister's, accusation of him like like being so so much older was like it just seemed kind of weird like how much older is he supposed to be like 20 years 10 years like what are we talking about so his only real interactions with anybody outside those two people were all fake interactions with those chat characters that her his parents were standing in for <laughs> and my favorite all lines, the sock puppets my favorite lines in the entire movie are he goes so boy or bear boy one and bear boy two and bear boy three they're not real and then he works up the courage to ask because he obviously had a crush on her and what about what about bear, bear girl, girl one, one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well and i that was something i did laugh out loud at also is right at the beginning when he's on his like ancient word processor laptop and it's got a webcam i'm like huh isn't that interesting? Right. So, and the webcam yeah. quality is way better than what's showing on the screen if his like of dinky old 1980s yeah. laptop. Yeah. So that was kind of fun, the whole fact that they've got that that set up for him. And and apparently informed him enough about, you know, what is actually happening in the world that he thinks that that's possible. And you can have a webcam and have these, you know, chats and comments about yes. different things you post. And if you're having romantic feelings, don't touch your penis more than twice a day. Yes. Yeah, that's my favorite line. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it kind of it kind of then justifies the after the lights go out in the compound situation. Right. You're like, okay, I get that now. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. what he says to the when he says to Meredith in that in that that hookup scene, it's like, <laughs> oh, I really like what you're doing right now. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you for that. That yeah. I really enjoy that. <laughs> I, uh, I gotta say, I really appreciated that it happened on a race car bed too. Oh, yeah. I thought that was just well, phenomenal. And you can see when they went in that room, did you see his face light up when he saw the race car bed? That was one of the funny yes. things. They don't really draw your attention to that, but they come in there and you just see his face like, oh my God, like he's so excited. It's like his room. Yeah. He feels comfortable. Yeah. His everything Brigsby Bear room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I did get the feeling that like, like, that Jane Adams, uh, the the fake mom character's whole hostility was about like she was just done with Brigsby Bear, yeah. But that Mark Hamill was the one that just kept pushing that forward, nudging it forward, even though this guy is like in his twenties and right should be over it by now. Well, in my mind, I just kept loving going to that place where I imagine Mark Hamill like printing up all the T-shirts and making the bedspread <laughs> and like the posters, like everything in that room they made. And you're like, oh my god, like what? They're like Santa's elves when he goes to bed and they're making some new Brigsby Bear 
you know, souvenir kind but of thing. But he was a toy company up. owner. So, of course, he so could make all that's that true. stuff. That's true. Maybe he just yeah. had it done on the DL at the company. I don't he know. did it with all his, his faux Teddy Ruxpin money. So, he still reported to work every day with his little gas mask, at least until he got in the car. I guess to he still held that job down. I didn't know if he totally quit the job because he'd made his millions, and then he was just in the car to go to the studio to film the weekly show or what yeah, was happening. It, it's very unclear, and I, I'm I'm not sure. You know, to to Zach's point about the length of the movie, I'm not sure that more stuff in the compound would have helped the movie um, so much as. Uh, keeping it sort of vague and then letting that be something that you discover throughout the movie is is what what happened in there, both from his recollection and from what other people know, you know, happened to him for real. What his, what his uh, experience of it was versus what was really happening sort of thing. What I also want to know is uh, who else potentially was helping him this, with this production because that's a lot of production time. If you think about characters, filming, editing, special uh, effects. costumes, special effects, I mean, it was a fairly well-produced show for what they showed us. Yeah. So, like, if he's doing that within a week turnaround time, like, does he have people on the inside? How have they never talked about this? How has oh, it never leaked? I think it was longer than a couple of weeks because, remember, he – he got he broke out and then she's his mom his real mom said something to the effect of well they want you to re be reevaluated in about three weeks or something like that i think there's a bigger period of time that gets dropped off between when he goes and shot shoots that last scene after breaking out i'm assuming he goes back in deals with all the the bs oh yeah i get that weeks. i'm talking about the show talking about the Briggs with the dad show. The oh dad sorry yeah no you're fine i, I, I totally get that, that <laughs> no the, the timeline makes sense on the on the, on the, talking, the movie I'm talking about how how turning around you know whatever this week. is a half hour one week uh show right. every week is like yeah. you know he's got like a legit production team to do that you know he's got he's got basically he's got this the Mr. Rogers crew. Well, he exactly. is Mark Hamill. He might be using the force, but it's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, the waitress said the waitress said she was working for she th- thought she was working for some Canadian public television show, which was <clears throat> for some reason shooting in Utah. Yeah, which is exactly. <laughs> so yeah, uh, <laughs> well, it's Christine's. Ch- uh, no, it is. <laughs> Alicia's turn to uh, no. choose a movie for us. Alicia, what would you like for us to yes. watch next? Okay. It's been a few years since I watched this, but I would like to revisit Eastern Promises. That'll work. Um, thanks, everybody, for discussing Bridgeby Bear. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast. We will see you on the next episode of the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Mm-hmm.